Hello everyone! This week, we'll start on what I'm calling the Age of Enlightenment, or from about 1750 to 1830. If you'll recall from history class, this period covers some very big changes in the Western world, like the American and French revolutions. This time period also sees a lot of change in thought, with a heavy focus on reason and ideals like liberty and rights. All of this led to a lot of changes, the first that we'll discuss being great reductions in infant mortality. If you recall, infant mortality was unfortunately very high in older times. For example, about 12% of babies in England died during their first year of life back in the medieval era. Even as late as 1750, in certain poor parts of London, infant mortality was as high as 90%, which is horrifying. Thankfully, that starts to change around this time period through a whole bunch of attempted efforts, some of which were successful. One was the regulation of alcohol, specifically in England, where gin consumption was so common it sparked public backlash. Seriously, the per capita gin consumption in England tripled between 1720 and 1751, in about just three decades. This increase in gin drinking was blamed for a multitude of problems, like crime and poor child welfare. While the increased drinking was probably a factor to some extent, it was definitely not the only cause. Now, with regards to public health, it's true that alcohol is bad for you in general, but as I'm sure you know, alcohol is especially bad if consumed by pregnant women, and can lead to fetal alcohol syndrome, where babies will suffer brain damage and abnormal growth. This wasn't as well understood at the time, but it was a widely held belief that women who were pregnant or nursing while under the influence would cause harm to children. After the passing of regulations on gin, alcohol consumption did go down, at least for a little bit, and infant mortality dropped a bit too. But truth be told, it wasn't a huge factor. There were a whole lot of other causes of child mortality that also started to get tackled around this time, Illegitimate children were often abandoned or even murdered, which is awful and, of course, contributed to those death rates. Children of the poor, even if raised by their actual parents, still faced incredible hardship. Numerous organizations were created around this time to help take care of the many children in need. Thomas Coram, a wealthy philanthropist of the time, returned to England after spending some time in the United States and was so disturbed by the sheer number of poor children on the streets of London that he dedicated much of the rest of his life to help them. He was initially unable to convince anyone, especially since there were heavy social stigmas against illegitimate children. Many people of the time felt that helping unwanted children would promote promiscuity. It also probably did not help that Coram didn't fit in well with the influential upper class. But Coram pressed on for 17 years, which is more time than I've spent doing anything, with the exception maybe of breathing. However, eventually, for his many efforts, Coram was able to convince King George II to sign a charter for the Foundling Hospital of London. The Foundling Hospital went to great lengths to ensure the health of children in their care, which went a long way to helping many of these children live and prosper. Children first entering the hospital were always screened, and were turned away if they showed signs of an infection a form of quarantining that was unfortunately necessary to protect the other children. If they passed that screening, children were sent to wet nurses in the countryside to escape the grime of the city. Those children would stay out there until they were five or six, and then would return to the hospital. These children's diets were not neglected upon return, and they were usually given vegetables, meat, and fruit, as well as milk from the hospital's own cow. Those kids probably ate healthier than I did around that age. 
All these efforts also resulted in scientific publications detailing how to take proper care of children, including feeding, nursing, clothing, and exercise best practices. The Foundling Hospital not only looked after children's health, but also sought to educate them. Both girls and boys were taught to read, were given religious education, and were taught domestic and industrial skills. Those children were later apprenticed to tradespeople, so that they could later fend for themselves and make a living. Many children were also instructed in music, which was unusual for the time period, but it was thought that blind and disabled children could use music as a way to support themselves. It worked, and the hospital even held performances to make money. One blind woman named Blanche Thetford was paid as a singer in the hospital chapel and worked there until she died at the age of 75. England wasn't the only place where great strides were made in improving the health of children. In France, a number of physicians were doing important work to promote the healthy upbringing of children. A prominent doctor of the time, Nicolas André, coined the term orthopedics in a book that described how many deformities and ailments in children were a consequence of bad physical handling. That book was more aimed at parents than doctors, and taught ways to prevent and correct deformities. Interest in the well-being of children extended beyond just the medical field. Philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau wrote an educational novel called Emile that in many ways served as a guide to raising children and further increased interest internationally, even being translated to other languages. Similar efforts occurred all around Europe with generally great results. In one English hospital from 1750 to 1800, just 50 years, infant mortality dropped by a factor of five, the preservation of so many young lives also contributed to a massive population boom in Europe. Prussia nearly doubled its population in just 50 years, which is nuts. Specific cities had even more massive changes. Berlin, for example, had five times more people in 1800 than in 1750. And of course, these efforts saved and improved the lives of thousands, if not millions, of people in these years. Unfortunately, child mortality would start to tick up again into the mid-1800s, but huge amounts of progress was made during this time period. Next week, we'll talk about other changes to institutions that occurred around this time, especially regarding asylums and hospitals. As always, thanks for listening, as well as thanks to Jojo Tang for editing, Angie Lee for our cover art, and Muse Open for this music.